You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. So welcome everyone. My name's Elena. I'm one of the staff here at Jubilee and uh, I'm excited to be able to be up here and share with you. Um, so last week we started a little series talking about our three core values. Um, we say that Jubilee, uh, as a church, we exist to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. And um, in this series we're doing over the next three weeks, uh, we want to unpack that a little bit um, and talk about how that affects how we live as a church, how we grow together as individuals, and how we, um, our way of being as a church who's partnering with God's work in the world. So last week, Michael talked about the good news, and you can hear his talk online. Um, and today, I'm talking about spiritual family. So um, this is written on our website, and this is how we describe family. It says, church is a spiritual family, a family marked by radical love and unity in its diversity of language, ethnicity, social status, and personal give- gifting and vocation. The church family exists as a living example of the good news in everyday life. To follow Jesus is to be committed to a spiritual family, sharing what you have and experiencing growth in community. So if you stick around Jubilee for a while, you will hear us say certain things a lot um, that here at Jubilee, we don't see church primarily as a place or a building or a service that you come to on a Sunday like today. Um, where you have a team lead worship and then someone preaches a message um, and where a certain group of people deliver some goods and you go home and live lives by yourself and, you know, choosing, okay, I'm going to take it away or not. Like we, so what we do here on Sundays, although it's really important, is actually just um, a reflection of who we are, a people. Um, it's kind of like a... Uh, you know, family gathering. So, uh, you know, individuals in, in a family go out throughout the week, they do their thing throughout the day, and then they come back and they share a meal and they chat and update and commune together. And Jesus really encouraged us. So Sunday is not what we see church as. It's uh, one of the things that we as a church do to build together. But we see church as a people, a family, a living and breathing organism, not primarily an organization. And uh, when it's really functioning as it was intended to be, that uh, that organism is constantly growing in the world outside these four walls, that that's actually the point of the church. Um, So to go a bit deeper on this idea of spiritual family and look at where the biblical basis for it. We're going to dig into a scripture that comes from chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians. Um, I'm going to start with just a little background. So Ephesians is actually a letter that was written by Apostle Paul um, to a church that he helped plant in the city of Ephesus. Um, At the time of writing, Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, and it was a port city uh, located on the western coast of Asia Minor, which is like 
um, modern day Turkey. Um, this city at the time was a major center for worship for many Greek and Roman gods. Um, but Paul, through his ministry, was able to share the good news of Jesus' message there. And a lot of people were starting to come to know Jesus and believe in the message of Jesus. However, uh, because he was preaching this message, Paul ended up getting thrown in jail um, uh, and this letter was actually written from him in a prison cell. Um, yeah. So in the first part, because we're going to be looking at Ephesians 4, but in the first part of Ephesians, Paul summarizes and reminds people of the gospel, which we talked about last week. Um, and he, he basically declares the message. We talked last week that the gospel is primarily a message or a proclamation of something that has already happened. So Paul, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, is declaring what has happened. As Jesus has uh, come to earth and died and risen again, what actually happened? He reminds the Ephesian church that God's plan from the beginning of creation was to be in relationship with the people he created. That uh, Ephesians 1 verse 4 says that he chose them before he created the world to be in, to be in relationship with him. His, it was his plan, his desire, and his good pleasure. And, you know, as we know, the story goes that people didn't actually, they turned away from relationship with him, but it says that because of God's great love, he made new life available through relationship with Christ, and this was a gift given by grace, uh, meaning they hadn't done anything to deserve it. They really didn't deserve it. Um, and all along, his intention was to adopt them as his children, it says. Uh, did I... To adopt them as his children. And uh, through Jesus Christ, this adoption wasn't just available to the Jewish people. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a little bit. But available to everyone. Um, so before Jesus uh, came to the earth, God was revealing himself uh, through the people of Israel with whom he had made a number of covenants. So since the beginning of time, God has been revealing himself through relationship, through people, and through um, covenants that he has made. So what is a covenant? A covenant, <laughs> a covenant is an agreement. It's a promise. Um, a pro often it's God promising to bless, to provide for his people if they would commit to following in his ways and uh, choose to stay in relationship with him. And if they did this, he would partner with them and that he would reveal himself through them and make himself known on the earth. And uh, this harkens back to his original plan in creation, which was that he created human beings in his image and he wanted them to reveal his image on the earth. But the story goes, people sinned, it didn't work. So then he said, okay, I'm going to reveal myself to these people again. I'm going to try again and I'm going to do it through these covenants. Like all along, he's been making his plan happen through relationship and constantly pursuing people to see his name and see him known on the earth. So um, you can see in scripture that he, there's records of covenants that God makes with Noah, with Abraham, with King David, and, and throughout history, uh, the people of Israel are constantly needing to remind themselves of these covenant things. What are the promises that God has given us? And then they forget and sin, and then they come back, and they remember, and then they forget, and then they come back. And so... Um, 
I'm going to read one of the covenants, which was with Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So... Um, so throughout history, God's been revealing himself to families and through families. Um, often you'll see in the Old Testament where uh, people, when they're talking about the ways that they had turned away from God, the people of Israel, like the leaders would say, okay, we have sinned, we and our ancestors have sinned. So there was just this real collective sense of God's presence working through community and through family and through, not just through, well, through one individual, but the implication was through family and through relationship. So if you look at this promise, um, it says that God was going to make Abraham's family a great nation. It says later that he's going to give him many descendants and that he would make his name great, but the reason was so that he could be a blessing and that the purpose was that all families of the earth shall be blessed. Um, but what you see is that, as the story goes, a lot of the people of Israel turned that into a me promise and they weren't caring for those who were on the outside of the people of Israel very well. Um, but God knew all along, like, he, he had a plan for that. So, um, enter into Ephesians, Paul is talking about this gospel story um, that, you know, these human beings who were supposed to reveal the earth and, and bring blessing to all the families of the earth, not just themselves, um, did it very imperfectly. And what that revealed is that they needed a savior. Um, and the human beings, we as human beings, and they as human beings, couldn't hold up their covenant at their end of the covenant relationship on their own. Um, so God makes provision and does it himself by sending Jesus so that the relationship would be stored, restored. So we talked a lot more about that last week. You can um, listen to that, but enter into uh, Ephesians. This is what Paul is explaining, is what is this message? Who is Jesus and what are the implications for us? What is this good news? So Ephesians 1 verse 5 verse uh, Verse 5 to 8 says, He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, that is, Jesus. Um, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. And so that's a good summary of um, the gospel message. So Paul's just reminding him reminding the Ephesians. And he says uh, in verse 2, uh, four, 12 to 14, it says, remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens of the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise. So he's speaking to the Ephesians who are not, who are Gentiles, which means that they weren't Jewish people who were part of the original covenant promises. But he's talking about what are the implications of Jesus coming. And he says that, um, yeah, you were once strangers and aliens um, and strangers to the covenant, covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, 
and in his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. So what he's talking about here is actually the ethnic divisions between those who are Jews who were the first ones who God was like, I'm, I'm giving this promise to you and those who, who were not because the problem was that a lot of, well, the Jewish people thought that was just for them and they were missed, some of them were missing the point that Jesus actually came to break down that dividing wall. And so through Christ Jesus, those who were far and far away from God were given the ability to draw near. Um, Yeah. So even though Paul's in prison, um, he's basically uh, talking about how all of this is worth it. Sorry, I'm going to read this part first. So Ephesians 2, 17 to 20 says, He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Through him we have both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. So in the book of Ephesians... Um, Paul is using the language of family. So he's saying, like, uh, although the Jewish families and the Gentile families are by blood different families, they now have access to one Father by the Holy Spirit. And you see that in in the book of Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit comes down, and actually the Word of God is being able to be preached in languages that those who are not Jewish were able to understand. So this gift, this good news, was made accessible to everyone And so Paul's encouraging them. You are all members of his household. Um, And so this language of family is is very explicit here. And um, it's interesting because this is where he begins. The first implication he has, he speaks about is the ethnic diversity, that this is a multicultural church. This is a multi-ethnic church. This is not a church that is just for those who were the chosen people originally. It's that this message, we are all children under one God, one Father, and we are all members of his household. So um, the rest of of Ephesians kind of picks up, what does this message mean? What does it actually mean to be members of this household? He he talks about, he unpacks it using a bunch of different metaphors, and we're going to look at just one today, I think. So Ephesians 4, I'm just going to read all the scripture that we're going to read in Ephesians 4 today, and then I'm going to unpack it little bit by little bit. So Ephesians 4, verse 1 to 6 says, I therefore, so I therefore, the therefore means um, in light of everything I have shared with you in the first three chapters, or actually they weren't chapters before, the first part of this letter, because of all of this, because of this gospel message, because of this good news, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive, and he gave gifts to his people. 
when it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. I know that's confusing, but we'll talk about it more later. <laughs> uh, the gifts that the gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and dis- deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head that is into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. So we'll unpack that. So what is Paul saying here? So the first thing he says is, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling which you have been called. So he just finished sharing this message and the calling that we've all been adopted. We've all been given access to this good news. And um, like what he's saying here, given that he talks a lot about grace, isn't that uh, we need to work hard and be like work for it. He's just saying that like Michael talked about last week, uh, that this message is true, that you have been given a new life and this new life is available. So live this life that you've been given. You've already been called, Jesus already paid the price on the cross, so live a life that is worthy of the fullness of what you've been given. Receive that. Um, Michael talked a lot about that last week, that we really need to receive it. And uh, I think that's what he's saying here is, please, I beg you, it was worth it for me to preach this message and I'm in prison and it was worth it. Please just live a life worthy of this calling. This is available to you. Take hold of it. And then he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to maintain the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. So as we read, like he finishes, or as he, we've already read, he talks about how those barriers have already been destroyed uh, between Jew and Gentile and between people of diff- that are different from one another. But um, he's saying humility, gentleness, patience, a bearing with one another. This, he's recognizing here that this is going to take effort and to maintain. So uh, it was a gift of the Spirit and God's grace that he people could live in unity. He made it accessible, but there is a humility that is required. There is a gentleness that is required. There is a patience that is required, and there is a bearing with one another. Um, So, so again, this message must be received in one's hearts. um, And it's going to take all of this effort to, it will take effort to maintain. But again, he's reminding us of the message. He's saying, okay, there's one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So again, he's saying, 
in the world, there's all these different divides, there, but there is one, a oneness that God has made available. There's one body, one spirit, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. He emphasizes this oneness that is in Christ. So the church, even though it's a big diverse family with lots of different kinds of people, he emphasizes that they are one. And that's a key word in this chapter. He says it many times. Um, but what he ends on is that there's one God, God and Father who is of all, who is above all, and through, through all and in all. So he's saying this is possible because of the God and the Father that we serve. He has done all of this in Jesus, and he has made this really difficult thing of unity, of spirit, um, that will require all of this participation, but he is above all, and he's done it already. So it's possible. So then it goes on to say, but each one of us, or each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity a cap itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. So um, often we'll read this verse and skip over this because this seems kind of confusing. But um, what he's actually referring to is Psalm 68, verse 18, um, where uh, this was a song and... Um, they're declaring about who God is, and we're going to talk about another bit of it later, but he said, when you ascended on high, you took many captives, you received gifts from people, even the rebellious, that you, Lord God, might dwell there. So <clears throat> what this image actually is, is um, of, uh, like Paul's doing something pretty interesting by referring to this, because in this image, it's a, uh, it comes, it's in a psalm that talks about who God is, and it's a prophetic vision of God being placed on his throne in the temple of Jerusalem, and it's a symbol of him, his kingdom actually coming, um, and a symbol of his heavenly throne, and it says here that he's receiving gifts from his people, and that refers to uh, what happened when a king would win a battle, like, in a city, and they divided all their plunder and possessions of a land that was conquered, um, and it was basically all the gifts of the, the kingdom were divided among the people. So you receive gifts from people, even from those who are rebellious. And so, but what's interesting here, and it's interesting that Paul would use this, is that uh, it says that each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So uh, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive, and he gave gifts to his people. So as di what is different from what the vision of this prophetic image is, is that God, instead of taking things, the establishment of his kingdom was a gift that was given, that um, captivity itself became a captive. So this, we talk about the scripture of like the, where our name Jubilee comes from, and he, he preaches freedom to the captives and release from darkness from the prisoners. So for the prisoners. So when Jesus rose from the dead, um, he actually took captive this idea of being captive and he turned it on its back and gave gifts to his people. And it all started because of Christ's gift. So 
this is very different than the expectation of what it meant to see a kingdom come on earth. He did it this way. And so then in brackets, uh, it talks about when he ascended, what does it mean, but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So this is talking about ascending, which is like being resurrected. And what does it mean? So he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. So basically he's talking about like, what did it look like for him to establish his kingdom? He actually came to earth in human form and um, descended to the lower parts of the earth, which is, if we look back to what we were talking about uh, here and talking about humility, uh, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and love, making every effort, he's basically saying that, you know, okay, I'm telling you this is going to be hard, but Remember, I've spent three chapters reminding you, but remember again that Jesus did this, that he has made this possible. And he went first. He descended. And in, like, in terms of division between someone who is not like you, we and Jesus are different by nature, that Jesus was perfect. His love was unconditional. And he made this possible by becoming a human being, coming and meeting us where we were at, his posture, like we talked about a few weeks, was I'm going to meet you and I'm going to descend. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to, God himself is going to meet you where you are. So again, he's saying, this is the gospel message. I'm going to start unpacking what that means, but don't forget, I know that sounds hard. This is where this message comes from. And, and all this slavery, captivity, I've demolished it. It's not how you are called to live anymore. So then we go into the part where he talks about all the gifts, which we love to talk about. Uh, the gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the full measure of the full stature of Christ. So... Um, So after talking again about this unity and oneness, he's saying again, actually, in this oneness, God intentioned, he planned, he gave a gift that there would be a lot of diversity in this body, that they would have different gifts and they would not, if you unpack what each of those gifts are, we've done it before and we will do it again, but they're very different in the way that they see the world and the way they approach the world. And this was actually God's plan. His plan was to give different gifts to the body. Um, and the reason is that, um, that he wanted them to reach, first of all, the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the full measure of full stature of Christ. So I find this really interesting in light of like the things that divide the church, that, um, that God's plan would include giving people different gifts, giving people different ways of thinking and being. And the point of giving all this diversity was to see the unity of faith come about. And I find that very interesting. If you were wanting to give your people a unity of faith, why wouldn't you just tell them all exactly the same thing and give them exactly the same way of looking at the world? But the, and if you wanted to reveal the knowledge of the Son of God, why wouldn't you just explain it all in, in simple form to like one person and everybody gets one another? Because it would make it a lot easier, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, but his plan was that 
somehow in this that they that his people would um, come to maturity, which is the measure of the full stature of Christ. So there's something in this process of all these different gifts coming together that actually reveals who God is. And his desire is through the church to reveal who God is. And so um, maturity in faith and the full understanding of faith will only come as we as a body in all of our diversity actually share and bring to the table the different gifts that we have, the different perspectives we have, and as we are wrestling through, what does this good news mean for us? Um, God is going to reveal himself in his entirety. And then it says, we must no longer be children tossed to and fro um, and blown about by every wind and doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him is, who is the head, into Christ. Oops. Oh, no. Okay. There's a little mix up here. Okay. But we must no longer be children tossed through and fro. I read that part. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up into, in every way into him who is the head into Christ. From him the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament which is, with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in the building itself up, in building itself up in love. So we have talked about how um, in the beginning we talked about the church as a family. It's marked by radical love and unity and diversity of language, ethnicity, social status, and personal, personal gifting and vocation. So as we already said, God uh, reveals the complexity of who he is in this diversity. Uh, and uh, and it, it says in the first few chapters of Ephesians says that the manifold wisdom of God is manifest through his church. So there's something about the mystery of the gospel that is wrapped up in this diversity. And I think that's something that we as a community, if you'll stick around, you'll, you'll see that that's something we value. And um, there are a lot of communities that organize around this doctrine or that doctrine, and this is the right way to do baptism. And, and we do have uh, thoughts about that, but this is a community where we believe that every part and every perspective, that they're all being held in tension, and it's actually in that tension that Christ himself is revealed. And um, when we look at the beginning of the gospel message and, and the way, if you read the gospels themselves, you see that that Jesus had a way of relating to every type of person and, and every circumstance, and um, this is having the humility to actually enter into that and bring who we are as, as individuals in this community and the experiences we've had and how we are wrestling with the gospel. This is essential to being a spiritual family. And so the point here that he's talking about is that the goal is 
maturity and like growth in understanding. He's talking about how we're all children of God, but he doesn't want us to be immature in children. Some, some translations say infants and tossed to and fro and blown around by every wind of doctrine. And so if you look in the world today, there's a lot of different ideas about how uh, one should live and act in the world. There's a lot of different uh, things that are said in the name of church and uh, and there's a lot of deception and trickery. And, uh, and I think that what the scripture is saying is that it's in the midst of diversity that we can, I don't think avoid, but hold those things in tension and therefore come closer to the truth of Christ. And um, it's, it's a mystery because how does something become clear? It's through this kind of messy diversity that the truth will come clear um, as we all are attempting to really dig deep into who God is. So what are the implications of this? Um, uh, first of all, I think it's that, like what does this speak to us? Is that we, we need to bring who we are. And I think this is part of receiving the gospel message is really recognizing that God has created each of us different and um, to really grow deep in discovering how God's wired you and how he's created you. And then not just discover that and keep it for yourself, but actually bring it to the table wherever you're at. Um, and then I think secondly, it talks about speaking the truth in love. And I think this is something that uh, is vulnerable um, and is risky. And it's very easy to go through um, even church community and even say that, you, that we are a family, but either um, because we're not sure that what we have to bring to the table is valuable, or maybe we disagree with what the other person's perspective is, that um, I think one of the ways, like how would the world deal with that? The world deals with that by division and having separate groups and not associating with those that think and look and act and see the world in a different way. But in the same way that when Paul talks about the gospel message, that Jesus came near, that God came near, the challenge to us from the scripture is to come near, that where there is tension in the body, to actually be able to come near enough, to be vulnerable enough. And I think to risk being wrong enough um, that we will come near to one another in our diversity and speak the truth in love. So, are we humble? Are we patient enough? Like it said at the beginning of us of the verse, are we willing to bear with one another in that tension of being different and speaking the truth in love, and to be able to ask questions of one another? I. I don't know where you're getting this idea and thought about Jesus. Like, maybe I don't agree. Can you explain it to me? And being willing to say, hmm, maybe I don't know, instead of, like, uh, hiding that fact, like, ask for help from one another. So I think that's an implication of the diversity of gifts that we have in the body that, that God is wanting us to enter into. And I think we as a church talk about that a lot and we have done that to a degree, but I think um, one of the things that is very tempting in our world is this 
sense of independence and uh, in terms of doctrines and, and scheming and, and the ways of the world and, and in the end of Ephesians it talks about like uh, just the battles in the spirit. Like I think that one of the challenges is that um, this idea of independence creeps up into the church itself. And I think one thing I just want to encourage us in this season is to really enter in, to enter in deeper, to really challenge ourselves, to go beyond the, the places where we've gone before and, and to really um, receive the fullness that uh, God has offered us in, in family. Oops, sorry. Oopsies. So this image of um, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped. So that's a very intimate image. It's like, okay, there's this body, it has a lot of different parts, but it's joined, it's knit together. I don't know how many of you guys have done knitting before, but like each little strand of yarn is woven together that if you try to pull it apart, it's not gonna pull apart. Um, so this is the image that God actually wants us to live into and to experience as a family. So uh, what does this require of us? Again, like what is, is Paul talking about when he says um, that it's going to require patience and all this? What does this require? And um, I think, well, it requires speaking the truth in love, and I think it also um, requires um, risk, and it re we talked about this, and it requires vulnerability, and it requires us entering into the places that we may not naturally go. Um, and it talks about here that uh, both the one who makes people holy and the one who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and, and sisters. And when I read this scripture, it made me think. And I've been reading this book about diversity in the church and, and thinking about how I have stood at a distance from associating myself with certain kinds of Christians. And I think we can see this um, manifested even more in the world as we're seeing all these things on social media and there's this fear of being um, associated with somebody that might have the wrong type of Christianity um, and maybe even in this room there are people that you're thinking oh, I'm not really sure if I agree with that brand of Christianity but I think um, going alongside with speaking the truth in love is this entering into what Jesus entered into, which is that he is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. So what does it look like for us to not be ashamed to call one another brothers and sisters and to really dig into the household of God that he has called us to? And so, very practically speaking, who is it with whom you are associating to? When you come here on a Sunday, are you talking to the same people over and over again? Are you looking for the people that, that maybe look at things differently than you? Are you looking for new people that you've never met before? And I think the, the natural flow of things for any community is to uh, go where you're comfortable. And I guess I just want to really challenge us that um, to go beyond that as a community. And 
right now where we're at as a community, this is, there's great opportunities to do that. And, and this is one of the reasons why we have, uh, we have micro churches. Um, it's a way for our community to be united in the midst of diversity and to see the full expression of um, different missions, different visions, different ways of being um, expressed in the world and to see God actually made known to diverse people. And so uh, one of the things that I really encourage you is in this season are, uh, to take a risk. If you're not yet in a micro church, just ask God, where is it that he uh, is calling me to be planted? And you may not necessarily fit with a group or you may not you may not know where you fit. And I think this has been one of my fears in, in this whole microchurch thing. I think it was really nice when we had our Jubilee communities and they're big. And you can kind of like on a Sunday, you can kind of just blend in and not really need to bump up against the things that are different about one another. But in a microchurch, which is a smaller uh, expression of family, you're actually needing to battle face to face with these differences that you have with one another. And you need to choose to enter in or it's going to be really hard to exist there. So um, micro churches are an amazing opportunity to uh, enter into this kind of family. And um, in the book of Acts, it talks about how, uh, you know, the believers shared all things in common and they uh, shared their possessions. And, and this is one of the reasons why microchurches are the way that we as a community are wanting to express ourselves is that you can't really do that with a huge group of people, even a group this size. But in a microchurch, you're able to be honest and vulnerable um, and share those things. And, and if you don't, it's more likely that they will naturally be seen. So I encourage you to really get connected. Um, so again, uh, I just want to, uh, there's just a couple more things I want to share, but back to this, we talked earlier on that um, in Psalm Six, or the, that little passage in Ephesians talked about Psalm 68 and uh, it made reference to it. Um, and I want to make reference to this psalm again because it, it, in this psalm, it, it's a declaration of who God is. Um, and I think there are things that we can receive from it. So this is who God is. He, he is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. He sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing but the rebellious dwell in a sun-scorched land, <laughs> which is not a fun image to touch on. I always want to like erase those lines because it just doesn't seem very nice. But um, I just want to encourage us as a family that this is the promise that God has for us, that no matter what your background was, no matter who uh, your family was, no matter if you actually have a father or not that was involved in your life, um, God's desire is to be a father to you. And as we talked earlier, that, that um, one father is the father of our household. And we want and this to be a community where people are able to discover family relationships outside of their natural family. Um, in the scriptures, Jesus says that his mother and brother and sisters are those who follow um, him And this is a radical view of family, and it was especially radical in that time because at that time, the reason why it says defender of widows is that in that culture, widows, 
needed to be defended because the, the family structure was so core to the people and the identity of the people that things like barrenness, childlessness, um, uh, not being married, those were things that were not good news in that time. But this prophetic image says that even though maybe you didn't come from a good family, even though maybe you don't have kids, maybe you don't have a husband or a wife, maybe you don't have the things that the world deems as necessary to feel the intimacy and the love and the relationship that God has designed us to experience, that God is a father to the fatherless and he defends those who are vulnerable. And... Um, I think this is a challenge for us as a church, too. I, I remember Greg Mitchell came and spoke on singleness, like, I don't know, maybe a year and a bit ago. And he said that one thing he's been reflecting on is that if single people feel lonely in a church, or if anybody feels lonely in a church, that he, he looks at the church and says, okay, what's going on? Because this sense of loneliness is not something that God has designed to exist uh, in the kingdom of God. And if the church is supposed to... Um, be the manifold witness of God in the earth, that if these are things that are existing in our community still, that we should take ownership and, and receive the good news for our life. Michael talked about that. I forget exactly how he put it, but he talked about part, one of the definitions of receiving is like taking hold of, taking ownership of, that if these are things that exist in our community, in our microchurches, that, that we should take hold of the gospel and offer this type of family to people and be a reflection of this type of family to people in this community. This is what we're about when we talk about spiritual family. And then it says, God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious dwell in a sun-scorched land. So this kind of addresses the flip side of it, that God's intention is that every single lonely person in the world, whether they had a father or whether they were married because you know, in this case, this a widow has lost her husband. No matter what, God sets those people in families. And I think, I know Michael Jones, the first pastor of the church, always used to say, and I'm, if you want to talk to hear about this, talk to Whitney. The first time she heard Michael Jones speak about family and church, he's like, you don't choose church. Church chooses you. And God puts you in a church and don't go to a church just to consume and like because the worship's good or because you want to hear a really good sermon God's going to place you in a family and this is what is true is that God sets every single person in a family and one of the things that is available through the gospel is that this loneliness and sense of uh, lack of intimacy that we feel is not it's God has abolished it. Just like he's abolished those racial divides, he's abolished this too. Um, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. And so I think this is not a condemning verse because Jesus didn't come in to condemn the world. But if you, <laughs> I was reading a part of Nehemiah uh, this week again because I've been doing a little Bible study on it. And it, it, I spoke on Nehemiah a few 
weeks ago. Um, but in that book, it talks about how the Israelites like rebuilt the wall and uh, Anyways, you can go back and listen to that story. But it, the part of Nehemiah that I was reading was the part where they'd finished rebuilding the wall and they were finally celebrating uh, what was called the Festival of Booths, Festival of Booths, and they were celebrating what is God has done. And so they recounted the history of Israel in a very short little bit. And it talked, it just laid out plain how many times God had offered them family, relationships, the good news as it was manifested before Jesus came. And he, he kept wanting to bless them. And, and it, this one little bit says that uh, finally the, Ezra like, admits, and he says in this, this little bit of scripture that, um, uh, you know, God gave us this, and then we turned away, and God gave us this, and then he turned away, he parted the Red Sea, he did all of this for us, he led us through the desert, and then we turned away. And finally, he takes ownership and says, we have sinned. And, you know, maybe it's not him, like they, but he, he has this we mentality that I talked about um, and, uh, when I spoke about Nehemiah, and he says, we have sinned, and, and, and we are living as slaves in the land that God gave us, as a promise and inheritance. And, and Paul talks about this in the beginning of Ephesians. He says, like, I want you to experience the fullness, the, the, the promise, the inheritance. Like, there's so much joy in it. Please receive it. Please experience it. I urge you. And so it just has made me think that um, this is a two-way street, right? And uh, in order to actually experience this lack of loneliness, we need to enter in and we need to... Uh, to, to receive it. And a few months ago, uh, I was struggling with this question. Um, I'm sure most of you have heard my story, but some of you haven't. But uh, there was a time in my life where I really struggled with family because I had done a lot of, I had just been in a really dark season of my life. And then um, I had to go and take a break from ministry. And I had a real feeling of just like, oh, the people... I'm going to be honest, the people that were supposed to be there for me in this community didn't know, how to, didn't know what to do with me, so they sent me away. Like, the truth of that now I see is they sent me to a really awesome extended part of my family, and that was such a beautiful gift from God and made me come in and appreciate that. But I remember going through that and then, then going through a bunch of challenges with my own family and heartbreaks with that and, and just uh, things, brokenness happening, things not working out how I experienced, and then, you know, some challenges in my own sense of like, am I ever going to have a family of my own and a husband and kids? So there was a lot of this like brokenness and I kept, I was like praying to God and, and I felt like, and I was like, God, I just desire family. And I felt really clearly God say, I've given you a family, Elena. And are you going to receive that? And since then, I've been slowly trying to come out of the hesitation that has developed uh, from those challenges and, and realize I have to make choices to choose the good news above and beyond what my circumstances have, uh, have caused me to maybe believe about what family is. And, and I can tell you that every step I take to receive the family that God has given me in the midst of loneliness, instead of turning to distractions or various addictions or like things that, anything that would maybe give me comfort, God has shown up every single time. And so if you're in this place of feeling lonely, I just encourage you to 
enter in to receive. He leads the prisoners out with singing. He has taken captive captivity. All those broken parts that maybe make you not want to enter in, he's taken care of that at the cross. So enter in to what he has and don't live in that sun-scorched land, in that desert place, because that is not where he's called you to go. It goes back to how we started this ver- the verse in Ephesians, live the life worthy of the calling you've received. I've called you to so much more. And if you're not in that place of feeling lonely or, or you feel a real sense of family, then reflect the image of God like to those who feel fatherless. Defend those who are widows or in any sort of circumstance that may be different than what... God, or what, what a person may have desired to experience in their life, any loss they might have, be that for them, because this is what God's desire and plan is. So 1 John 4, verse 9 to 12 says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might love, live through him. In this love, or bleh, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought, ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we want love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. And so, again, it comes back to the point we made at the beginning is that God has been constantly wanting to reveal himself. He's revealed himself through relationship. He's revealed himself through family. He's revealed himself through Jesus. And no one in this world, not you or I, we've never seen God face to face. But if we actually challenge ourselves, if we bear one with one another, if we live a life worthy of the goodness of family that God has given us as a gift, as a result of the gospel, if, if we're patient, if we're humble, um, God's going to live in us and his love is going to be perfected in us. And, and it, this is how God is going to reveal his goodness in the world. And this is where all the things that... Um, this is how people are going to see that, that God is real because this is really impossible to do without a power that is greater than yourself. So Henry Nouwen says, forgiveness is the name of love practiced among people who love poorly. The hard truth is that all people love poorly. We need to forgive and be forgiven every day, every hour increasingly. That is the great work of love among the fellowship of the weak that is the human family. And I think that applies. Henry Nouwen was not in a actual, like a, a natural family. I think he's referring here as well to spiritual family. So um, as we enter in, we're going to be doing communion. Um, I just encourage you to reflect on the things we have been talking about and, and ask Jesus, what does it look like for you to enter into family? What is your next step? Where have you been standing at a distance, not allowing yourself to be knit in where you're a ligament that has been dislocated and and God's saying knit yourself back in do the work of I have a ligament that has been not functioning properly and I can tell you it's affecting my whole body when I sprain my ankle but like what does it look for you to do the rehab work to knit yourself back into the family that God has given you and so as we take communion which is uh 
a celebration. Jesus says that uh, every time his people, he, he, he started this right before he died and knew he was preparing his people, his disciples, his first followers to go into probably the most tragic, well, the most tragic thing they'd experienced on earth. He's saying, every time you do this, remember me. And it was a unifying thing. So um, when we're doing communion, I really encourage you to reflect what is your next step to enter into the family and the communion God has given you. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org.